Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Don't ever be mad at God, please. It's like being mad at your only help. It's like being out on the sea and you're gonna drown if you stay out there alone and somebody coming by with a lifesaver, you're like, I don't like him. You need to like him right now, okay? You need to get over it. That's the only way to be saved. So if that's how dumb it is to be mad at God. Don't be mad at God. At your worst moment, you need him. And so Satan would love for you to be mad at him when you need him the most because if you don't have God, what do you have? You just got everything Satan wanna throw at you. No protection, no peace, no joy, no sustenance. Are you mad at God? He doesn't do what you think he should do when you want it done. Will you be mad at him forever? When a bunch of bad stuff happens to us, Pastor Bill reminds us today that that is when we need him the most. If we get mad at God during our trials, then we refuse our only help. God purposely brings us hard times to grow us spiritually. Our faith grows when we see God come to our rescue. Instead of getting mad at God, let's remember that He knows our situation and plans to rescue us. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Paul is in prison. Paul has had hardship. We're going to look at it a little bit later. Some of the things that Paul went through, some of what he endured. I'm going to give you a section of scripture that you need to write down, just highlight it in your Bible. And next time you think you're having a bad day, you go, you go read this section of scripture and and backtrack and say, well, maybe, maybe it's not that bad, you know? Write this down in your notes. Write down 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 29. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 to 29. I want to read it because as Paul is telling Timothy to endure hardship, I just want you to know Paul's not just giving commands to do something that he didn't also do. And so I'm going to read you that section of scripture. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29, Paul says this. He says, are they ministers of Christ? He says, I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, that's getting whipped on your back with these, with these little wooden flexible rods until your back break open. He says, in stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. Paul had been in prison in and out like, like, he, was a, like he was a drug dealer, but he was just bringing the gospel. In prisons more frequently, in deaths often, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. What the Jews would do like they did to Jesus, they would beat you on the back. 40 is the number of judgment. And so they would beat you 39 times and say, we, we have mercy on you. We just did 39. And um, the guys are bleeding half to death. And so 30, he says, five times I got beat like that. Paul's back was beat to a pulp. It was all whipped up. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. You guys remember that place where Paul went into the city to preach the gospel? They stoned him to death. And then uh, I believe they stoned him to death. Some believe that he wasn't there. I believe Paul died. God raised him up. That's when he got the vision of the third heaven, which he said that, you know, I, I would be sinning to try to put it into words. I can't tell you. But Paul was stoned to death. Then he got back up. God raised him back up. And guess where he went? Back to that city. That's why Paul is my dude. Man, you can, I mean, stoned to death. God, if you stoned me to death because I'm in Compton and God raised me up, am I going back into Compton? Paul did, you know, so maybe so. I don't know. Paul went right back up in there. So he says, I was stoned. Once I was stoned three times, I was shipwrecked. 
So that means his ship wrecked and he had to be out on the sea and whatever else. He says, a night and a day I have been in the deep. That means for a night and a day I was in the water on a broken up boat floating. A night and a day. He says, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, people jacking him, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Anybody been cold and naked? I hope not. <laughs> in cold and nakedness. He says, look, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Paul says, while all of that's happening, that all of those things are happening to me, he says, man, the thing that I got a deep concern for the churches. Paul's still others-centered as all that's going on in his life, still thinking about others, still concerned for the church and how it's doing and how we can. That's why Paul's in prison writing letters to churches. I'm in prison myself, but my thoughts are with you guys out there. And so I'm writing these letters to encourage you and to minister to you and to give you instruction. And so when Paul tells Timothy, look, man, as a good soldier, you need to endure hardship. Believers, we need a dose of that because I've often heard of believers when things get difficult, things like people saying, I, I was mad at God. I, I don't believe there's ever a time where it would be appropriate for a Christian to be mad at God because God did for you and for me what no one else can do. God, God took care of your eternal situation. You deserve hell, but you get to go to heaven. Jesus died on the cross. That's what God did for you and me. So if, if my car crashes and the dog dies and all these other negative things happen, I lose my job and my friends backstab me and blah, blah, blah. God said, don't be mad at me. I, I'm a blown away. Sometimes people are mad at God for things that people on earth did. I don't know how come God let them do that. God lets you do the bad stuff you do. So, you know, we just don't ever be mad at God, please. It's like being mad at your only help. It's like being out on the sea and you're going to drown if you stay out there alone and somebody coming by with a lifesaver, you're like, I don't like him. You need to like him right now, okay? You need to get over it. That's the only way to be saved. So if that's how dumb it is to be mad at God. Don't be mad at God. At your worst moment, you need him. And so Satan would love for you to be mad at him when you need him the most because if you don't have God, what do you have? You just got everything Satan want to throw at you. No protection, no peace, no joy, no sustenance. You want to be drawn near to him like never before in difficult times. And so Paul says to Timothy, I want you to be strong in the grace. He says, I want you to pass these things on to other people. He says, hey, as a good soldier, you're going to endure hardship. You know, part of the Christian life is like being a soldier. And you need to be a good soldier. You need to be able to endure hardship. When hardship comes, Timothy, you can't quit. You can't back out. You can't say, uh, you know what, I was trying real, I was serving God, and then all these different things happened, and I'm, I'm not doing it no more. Then what does the Bible say? The Bible says if you put your hand to the plow and you turn back, anybody know what it says? You're not fit. You're not fit for the kingdom. Right? You can't put your hand to the plow and then turn back. God says you just, when you put your hand, you, you don't stop. You go for the rest of your life. You go until you come meet me. You be about that life. You be about the life of serving God, of living for him. And so he says, Timothy, be a good soldier, man. Hardship is guaranteed. Later on this letter, in the next chapter, in chapter 3, verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You can count on 
persecution, Timothy. If you live godly, you can count on some people not appreciating it. You can count on some people, you know, messing with you because of it. So just just get just ready, get ready for it. If I told a group of guys that were getting ready to play football, hey, guys, when you go out on that field, that other color team, they coming to get you. They coming to hit you. They want to hurt you. It would be inappropriate to send them out there and not give them that information and say, hey, guys, go out there. and Maybe they're going to be nice. Maybe you guys are going to hug each other and just walk up and down the field. Y'all know that's not going to happen. Well, in the Christian life, it's not going to happen either. You're not going to sell out, live for God, try to lead other people out of darkness into the light, take people from death to life, and Satan just lets you mosey on. It's going to be a war. But don't we have the victory already? We're fighting from the position of victory. God's already said, you, are, you win. You win. Just keep going. I got this. You win already. And so don't stop. Don't don't bow out. Don't when it gets difficult, don't quit. You got to keep going to get the victory. If you quit, you lose. But it's a loss, not because God wouldn't have given the victory. It's a loss because you didn't go get it. Like the story in uh, the Old Testament, when God had told the Israelites, I want you to go spy out the land that I'm giving it to you. Like I'm giving it to you. The victory is yours. You just got to go get it. And they went in. Joshua and Caleb came back and said, hey, it looks good. I mean, it is truly what God said. It is a land milk and honey. The grapes are like, whoo, you know, we need to go get it. But what did the rest of the guys come back and say? The 10, they said, oh, no. Oh, man, forget about that stuff. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. No, no. And everybody listened to the majority. The majority voted not to go do what God said do. And Joshua and Caleb were like, let's go get this. That's our bread. That, that's, that's God gave it to us. They got to go get it later. But because they were afraid, because they didn't go get it, they didn't get to have it. Right. Had they gone, God said, I've given it to you, but they didn't get it. So, too, with us, there are things that God says, I've given you the victory, but you got to go get it. You can't have the victory sitting on your behind. You can't have the victory bowing out of the battle. You got to go through it to get the victory. And so whatever that means for you, it might be that God has called some of you to be doing something. And as you're going through it, it gets difficult. Sometimes that's your hint that you're on the right track. Keep going. Um, some of us have been called to do things as we, we start doing them and other things in our life happen that are distractions. And, and God would say, don't stop. Don't let anything stop you from what I called you to do. Be a good soldier. So, again, he tells Timothy, be a good soldier. What, one aspect of being a good soldier is that you're going to endure hardship. The word endure means to undergo, um, to be afflicted. It's just going to be a part of what happens in your life. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Then he gives them this. He says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. He says, no one that's engaged in the battle entangles himself in the things of this life. What's that mean for us? Right? If I'm in the battle, right, I'm, I'm, on, the, I'm on the Lord's side. I'm in the army of the Lord. I'm serving God. God says that you don't entangle yourself in the, the things of this life. You can't be wrapped up in this life. Uh, I can't be entwined, overly involved with the things of this life if God is saying, I've called you to be about this over here. God has got to call upon Timothy's life. Timothy, you can't be wrapped up in some, some mess over here. You can't be giving, devoting all your attention, time, energy, and effort intertwined to something that does not matter over here. No one enlisted in God's army is entangled in the things of this life. Why? that he may please the one that enlisted. The goal is to please the Lord. God's the one that enlisted me. We had to be so glad. One that I've been saved, but God, God, you enlisted me. You put me on the team. I get to be part of the army. I get to go out in your name. I get to do something for you, God. It should be, it should be such a, a thrill and a blessing that we would say, you know what, then 
God don't want to be wrapped up in something that would hinder me from that. So I would ask you to consider this because the word's got to be speaking to us. You guys got to be living. It's got to it's got to hit us where we are. If you could look at your life and say, you know what? I should be doing this for God, but I'm entangled in this. My involvement in this thing that doesn't have eternal weight or value is hindering me from being more uh, available for this thing. If you find that there are some things that you're involved in that are not necessary, that are extracurricular, and they, they, you're, inter- you're entwined in it, you're wrapped up in it. You, they, God would say, hey, look at that thing. Look, look at how much energy, effort, time, resource you're spending on something that has no eternal value. And then look at how much time, energy, resource, effort you're spending on the things that have eternal value and, and, and weigh that out. Right. Of our life, if I'm part of the army of the Lord, if I'm, I'm going to be spending a, a good majority of my life right here. Now, if I'm going to say, well, well I got to work. Absolutely. Let your work be a mission field. Let your work. Some people, we got to work. And so you, you got to spend a good amount of your hours and days at work. Understandably, let it be a mission field. Let your life shine. Live in such a way. Work in such a way. Do everything that you do for the glory of God, that even your secular work, you guys, could be an opportunity all day. You could be the one person there that's given a good example of what a Christian is. With all the bad examples that abound, you could be the one that they look at and say, man, that guy right there is for real. You know, I, I'm, I, if I have a question, I'm going to come talk to him. That, that sister right there is something different. And I recognize it and I see and I, I respect her because of it. And so, you know, you'll win people's respect by just being consistent about it. What you don't want to be is the person that they all know you go to church and then you just like them. Because now, now you, you're, that's your opportunity at work. It's, you, you could waste it. And so Paul tells him again, the person engaged in a warfare does not entangle himself with the affairs of his life. Same thing, if you think about our, our soldiers as they're out there in the midst of battle, um, they're not entangled at home life. They're not worried about paying the bills. They're not worried. They don't even have as much contact. They're, their focus is out there. Um, they're completely, for that period, they're separate. Um, they're not worrying about the things at home and what kind of car and what's happening over here. Their focus is over there. God says we have to have that kind of focus, too, um, as we're engaged in his work. It is, a, it is a warfare. So, again, one of the analogies is a soldier. Timothy is encouraged to be a good soldier, that he must endure hardship, that he must not be entangled in the affairs of this life. And the goal of it is that he may please the one that enlisted him as a soldier. The goal is to please the Lord. God's the one that enlisted us. God's the, one, God's the one that's called us. And we want to be pleasing to the Lord. Amen. Verse five, he says, and also, this is the second analogy. He's is athletics. If anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And so the second analogy is of an athlete, right? A guy can be an athlete. He can have all of whatever the the sport is. He can have all of the skill and have worked really hard. But if he doesn't compete according to the rules, he'll lose. There's a martial arts thing called the the UFC. And there's the guy that's the champion at one of the weight divisions, John Jones. The one fight that he lost was a fight that he was winning the whole fight. The whole fight, he's winning, he's winning, he's winning. And then he threw an illegal elbow, I believe it was. And so it disqualified him. So he had prepared for the fight. He had worked really hard, dedication, effort, energy, time, money, resources, got into the fight. And in a moment, just did something illegal. You lose that. You lose the whole thing. And so God would say to us, right, like the athlete, you're in the competition, um, but you got to compete according to the rules. 
That needs to speak to us about our lifestyle, that we're living right, that we wouldn't live in such a way that we would be disqualified from being able to serve God, that we wouldn't live in such a way that, that there'd be something that we would do in the midst of our competition, in the midst of this that would disqualify us. We got to compete according to the rules. God gives us the rules that we're to live by, that we're to serve by, that we're to go by. We want to go according to his word. We want to live according to the rules. Otherwise, you could have all the ability and still not get to, to, not, not get to be what God wanted you to be, not get to do the things that God called you to do, um, disqualified. I've seen it. My daughter used to be on a swim team. And, you know, they go back and forth, these, these long races. If you, at one turn, if you flip wrong, I guess if, the, if your hand touches something or you don't do the flip right, the person's right there and they mark you disqualified. You could win the whole race. Expend all the energy and everything else and you get to the end of the race and there's a, they call your name and they say DQ'd. And so you, you, you won, but you lost. Uh, on paper, you lost. You didn't win. You don't get the victory. We don't want to be that way. And so he uses athletics. If you compete in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's interesting that when the Bible speaks about us in the terms of athletics, you know, running the race and all these different things, we're not racing each other, you guys. I'm not in a competition against you in this thing. It's a, it's a personal best. It's like a runner. It's like someone who, you know, last time I ran, I, I got done and, you know, one point, whatever. Well, this time I'm, I'm going for my own personal best. My race is not against you, right? My, I have my own calling, my own gifts. My, God has his own expectation for me. God's given you gifts and abilities and things, and God has an expectation upon you. And so we're all trying to run our race. God, I'm, God I want to I go as far as you want me to go. I want to do as much as you would have me to do. Um, but as we're going, it says make sure you're competing according to the rules. Make sure you're obeying the rules that have been laid out. The third analogy is a farmer, the hardworking farmer. The hardworking farmer must, this is verse 6, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. And when you think about a farmer, I don't know how many guys here got a green thumb or you plant gardens or anything like that. I don't. Um, but I know one thing. I know there's, you know, you, you dig a hole, you sow the seed, you cover it up, you water the seed. And then what do you do? You wait. That's a cuss word for Christians. You wait. That's that the farmer's got to wait, right? I, I, I dug, I worked really hard. I mean, all day I dug trenches and I sowed seed and I covered it up and I went back and I watered. I'm sweating, but there's no food yet. Now you got to wait. And back in these days, they had to wait for the rain. They had to wait for God to, you did your part. Now you're waiting on God to send the rain. Um, you, you, they, didn't, they didn't have an irrigation system. They didn't have sprinklers, right? Imagine being a farmer back in these times when after you, you did all the work to get everything ready. Now you're just saying, Lord, about time for that rain, Lord. I mean, you know, you're waiting for God to send the rain. And then after the rain is sent, then you got to wait on the crops to, to come and to be produced and everything else. There's a period of waiting. And I know there's one thing that we hate is waiting. I know I hate waiting. I, I want it now. I love the microwave. The microwave says I, I, can, I can have in two minutes what the stove would give me in 45 I'm, I'm like, I want, it, I want it right now. And so God doesn't let us have it that way. Maybe you're here right now. You're waiting on God. God's got you in a, in a waiting posture and you don't like it. I don't want to wait, Lord. I want it done now. I want you to fix it yesterday. God says, I want you to be like the hard working farmer, right? When the farmer is waiting, he's still working. He's the hard working farmer. And I believe it's critical and it's important what we do while we wait. There's some things that are out of your hands, right? If I'm waiting on God to send rain, 
can I do anything in my effort to make it happen any faster? No. I can, you know, I can do the dance. That don't work. You know, there's, there's nothing I can do in my energy to make it happen any faster than, than God's going to do it. And so I, I need to find something else to do while I wait. And so sometimes for us, as we're waiting on God, that's where we get all messed up. Some of y'all don't wait. Some of us, God says, I want you to wait. He didn't say wait. He just didn't answer yet. And we're off with it. You know, I always give the analogy of my son have a, a bad habit of asking while grabbing. Dad, can I have that thing? That thing that's in your hand already? No. Put it down. You know, but he's asking and having, can I have a Bible? You know, it's already doing it. You're asking for something while you're already going to do it. God says, ask. And then you got to wait. And God takes his time sometimes. Because waiting is good for us. Waiting. I mean, sometimes when you're waiting on God for something, you may hate it, but God's looking and saying, man, I, I don't have your attention like this. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't mean the last time I had your attention like you were praying every day. I mean, you were in the Bible. You were at fellowship. I mean, I, I have your full undivided attention right now. I'm going to keep you here for a minute. It's good for you because um, as soon as I give it to you, you're going to be off. And so some of us, God have us waiting because he has our attention in a way that he doesn't have it the rest of the time. Other times we're waiting because God said, I'm, I'm working out some things that you don't know. You can't see what I'm doing. But do you trust me? Do you trust that I love you? Do you trust that I heard you? Do you trust that I'm, I'm, I'm not mean, that I'm not just making you wait to be mean? Do you trust that I'm good and I'm, I'm, I'm listening when you pray and when you cry out and I'm working on your behalf? Do you trust me? Sometimes as I wait, God's looking and saying, do you trust me? Are you trusting me while you wait? And um, it's a great acronym for wait. W-A-I-T, worship and intimate time. While you wait, that's to be a good thing for you to do, worship and have intimate time with the Lord. Some people, when they're waiting, they're fretting. You know, they're kicking cans. They're calling, I, it's not happening yet. They're calling your friends and telling everybody and, and making God look bad. And God says, you just relax. Spend some time with me. Go read your Bible. Sing a song. Wait, you know, some worship time. So the hardworking farmer, he must be first to partake of the crops. He worked really hard. When those crops come up, he's going to be the first to partake. They'll be shared. They'll be spread out. But he will wait. And so we have the soldier we have the athlete, we have the farmer. Three different analogies that Paul is using to give Timothy a picture of what's the ministry going to be like? What's going to be like a soldier? Timothy, you're going to have warfare. It's going to be a battle. You can't bow out. You can't, you got to endure hardship. You can't, you can't be one that bows out easily. It's a war, man. Timothy, it's like athletics. You got to go according to the rules. There are rules involved. You must obey the rules. And Timothy is like a hardworking farmer. He works hard and then he waits. He'll, he will be first to partake, but it's going to be a while. There's going to be a gap in between sowing and plowing and sowing and, and reaping and, and, and partaking. There's going to be a gap in the middle, and he's going to have to be patient. He's going to have to have something you're going to need in ministry. You're going to need to be patient. And I've been encouraged in my own heart in this way that many times, you know, you're wanting God to do something. I want God to do it now. I want him to move in a, in a different way. And God is saying, just wait, I'm doing something right now. You could be looking so far down the line at what I'm going to do, what you hope I'll do, that you're missing what I'm doing right now. I'm doing something now. And so we want to have vision for the future, but you don't want to have vision so far off into the future that you don't have any perspective on what God's doing today. Because in many of our lives, gosh, I'm doing something great right now, but you can't even enjoy it because your eyes are way over there. And um, I want you to look at what I'm doing now. I want you to be involved in that. So the hardworking farmer... Then verse 7, it says, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And so he's telling Timothy, I want you to consider these things. 
Consider the soldier and the athlete and the farmer. Consider these things. Give some thought to them. You've been listening to A Transforming Word as Pastor Bill Buffington has moved into 2 Timothy. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young preacher that he has trained in the gospel. Paul's life was characterized by suffering as he went through the world preaching the gospel to hostile crowds, and he didn't want Timothy to lose heart because of it. In 2 Timothy 1.13, he reminds a young pastor, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Have you ever seen a believer you respect suffer at the hands of others? Maybe unbelievers or even Christian leadership. How did you feel? Were you tempted to lay low? Or did you guard the good deposit you have been given? We're so glad you're here today on A Transforming Word. This program is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. We believe that life is done better in community, and we'd love to have you be a part of ours. We're located in Inglewood, California. If you're in the area, we would love to see you this coming Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. or on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. You can find all the information you need at calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. While you're there, poke around a bit and discover everything we have for you. Thanks for being here today. We've come to the end of our time together, but we'll be back again next time, and we hope you'll be too for a transforming word.